Um, hey, give a round of applause for Adam. So this is cool. It's cool to actually uh, be here at their event because, like he said, two years ago, almost to this day, we were all sitting at our first, well, my first, I know it was Adam, he's a, he was a pro at it by this time, but our first event together, and we were sitting in a room, and we were like, we can do this. Um, and that was two years ago, almost to the day, and then when I leave here tomorrow, I'm actually gonna go speak at that same event I was an attendee at two years ago. Um, so things change very quickly, uh, if you allow it to. Um, did Brent give you guys a story that we know each other before real estate? He didn't tell you that, did he? Briefly, right? So Brent and I used to work in the experiential marketing world and travel across the country with some of the biggest brands in the country. And we met there. He was working for Jack Links at the time. I was doing a stint with the Air National Guard at the time. And um, I decided when my time was up, hey, look, I'm going to go. I went back home. We kept in touch. I was doing the regular life thing. And he seen me online. He's like, you're flipping houses? I was like, yeah, flipping houses. Keep it very casual. He's like, man, uh, can I come see you? I said, yeah. And I, I posted, I showed him a picture of a check. He's like, listen, if I drive up there and you show me a check for $20,000, I quit my job right now. <laughs> I am not joking. Him and Cece got in the truck. They drove in North Carolina. They came to my shop. I showed him a check. He's like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm calling them right now. And I'm done. And so from there on, he went on his own way and he did his first deal. I, I remember your first deal. It was huge, right? $13,000, I mean, that's a decent amount of money for the amount of work that he had to do to get it. So I tell you all that, that it's, it's crazy that we're here and we're both, you know, passing on the information that we've gained over the years to just give right back. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's just amazing. So <clears throat> I'm going to go on kind of with my story, but I got a question for everybody in here and people get very uncomfortable when I ask this question. Don't worry. Uh, no IRS, nobody's gonna rob you. How many millionaires do we have in the room? Raise your hand, it's cool. Okay, cool, that's all I wanted to see. Well, let me tell you my story. So I'm a, 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 a son of two immigrant parents from Jamaica. So I have no business being on this stage right now. Not at all. <laughs> I shouldn't even be here, to be honest with you. Um, so my parents migrated to America. My dad uh, was going to college and um, my mom was a, was a nurse, or a nurse's aide. And so, you know, here I am, I pop out, I'm doing well, I moved to North Carolina, my dad worked for the Pepsi Corporation in 93. Um, when I graduated high school, I went to the military at 17 years old. Did the whole thing, I loved it, loved every bit of it. There goes Master Sergeant right there. Boom. <laughs> so, um, you know, at that point, you know, I just, I was, I was a terrible student. I won't lie, when I was in high school, I barely had a 2.0. So in the state of North Carolina, probably all across the United States now, you have to have a 2.0 in order to play sports. And every year before the report cards came out, I would get kicked off the team because I didn't maintain a 2.0 to continue the entire year for playing that, that sport. And I just thought, you know, I wasn't born with it. I'm just one of the kids that didn't born with the test taking skills and the attention and all that stuff. And come to find out in my junior year, I was I was I knew something was different about me. I didn't know what it was, but then I was diagnosed with dyslexia. So it was hard for me to read, 
hard for me to compute numbers, things to see backwards. I do it. I did it yesterday. Going to the hotel room. I don't know where Dave is. I put my key in the door, and I'm trying to figure out why this is not working. I'm getting walked downstairs, but I flipped the whole numbers down. I'm on the other side of the hotel. So I still deal with it today, but I but I overcame that, and I I had. Because I was weak in that manner of not being able to read what might take you a day to read a book would take me probably three weeks. Just because of how long and just the confusing of all the words going back and forth. I just couldn't do it. So it wasn't my strong voice. I was a terrible student. Actually, I don't know how I graduated. I have no idea. But I did. But my only option at that point was I got to go to the military. It's because I wasn't going to college. I don't know if you got Jamaican parents, but you ain't staying at home either. <laughs> um, so I had to go somewhere. So I went to the United States Air Force, and I enjoyed every bit of it. But I wasn't satisfied. Did some cool things. Blew some stuff up. You know, went to some different countries. But at the end of the day, I wasn't satisfied. I had this burning desire in me that I was just more. And I wanted to do more than just do the 25 years and retire. So at that point, I left the Air Force at 21 years old, active duty, and I got my real estate license. I said, you know what, I'm gonna go into real estate, be a realtor, sell all the big houses, make a lot of money, get a boat, get a wife, I'm just gonna travel the world. Needless to say, none of that happened, and actually what happened was 2008. I got nothing. Uh, I started out my first year doing regular brokerage. I was buying and helping people buy and sell their houses. I hated it, driving buyers around for five weekends and they tell me they're not ready anymore. Oh my God, the worst. <laughs> so luckily when I went to go get my real estate license, I end up doing the brokerage class back to back. And at that point now, I was like, you know, I'm just gonna open up my own brokerage. So I opened up a property management investment company and I landed one big guy that was 95% of my business. It was like a $13 million portfolio and I managed all his properties. And 2008, 2009 happened and all that, he sold everything and I, there goes my business. So I start to pack up and I moved to LA. I get into marketing and I start doing some things and that's when Brent and I met. And I got out of the marketing world when I realized there was a problem I wanted to solve. I always had this entrepreneur burning side of me and I was like, you know what, there's a problem with our industry and I'm gonna go out and fix it, I'm gonna create an app, I'm gonna make a billionaire, I'm gonna make the next Uber of this. Guess what, that didn't happen either. We ran out of money, I crashed and burned and here I am almost 31 years old, barely know how to read, and I gotta move back home with my mom because you can't pay your rent with your credit card because eventually it runs out. So I was totally upside down. We ran out of money with our app. I didn't have my anything together and I got a knock on the door. I remember it was Thanksgiving, the whole family's home. I thought it would be easier to tell them, oh man, I'm coming home. Kind of made it convenient because you know you probably spend a night anyways when you're at Thanksgiving. I just stayed a little bit longer, about a year longer. <laughs> um, so at that point, I'm back at home and I don't even, I have no idea what I'm gonna do at this point. And it's kind of crazy to go back, and, to leave home at 17 and come back at almost 31 years old and try to figure out your life. Well, like I said, my parents are immigrants, so guess what, I am now 17 again. Where are you going? What are you doing? It's dinner time. It's dinner time, I said come eat. So you know, living back at home, I was 17 all over again, but I had to humble myself. I had nothing, and at this point, is when I had a friend and he had a rich dad. And I was like, hey, uh, isn't your dad rich? He said, yeah, I think so. I said, we should go talk to him. So we go to his house and he's, in, he's got this beautiful house. 
So yeah, he's rich. We pulled out, yeah, he's rich. <laughs> and uh, we get to the house, and he's, he's in the basement of his house, beautiful basement, not like a basement like I got, but like a beautiful basement with an office and everything in it. And he's there, and, he's, and he starts to talk about his you know, real estate, and he has this, yeah, matter of fact, we come to talk, and he has a whole freaking PowerPoint presentation. I've never seen this before. But he's got a whole PowerPoint presentation, he's got two computer screens, and he's like, here, come sit here, come here, sit here, son. Keep in mind, he's a Green Beret, retired, so he's like very just disciplined type of person. He's like, sit down, and he sits down, and he shows us this long presentation. Once again, my attention span doesn't work, I'm listening to probably every other fifth word. One word he said is, hey, I started by wholesaling real estate. That's one of the words I caught. So when I left his house, I went home, and I started looking it up. Started to see guys like Sean Terry and all these other guys on YouTube and podcasts. And so for about three weeks, I just locked myself in my room upstairs, back home. I mean, I couldn't do anything else, couldn't go out. Mom wouldn't let me, the street lights come on, I had to come home. I was 17 all over again. <laughs> had to sneak out to go get a drink. Just weird, 31 years old, going out your window on the second floor, I think it's crazy. I'm gonna slip one time, that's why I got a bad back now. Um, so it's, it's just crazy that I locked myself in the room and for three weeks I just study and study and study whatever I can, gobble up everything about wholesaling real estate. I had no idea. You know, when I heard that term before, I thought it was a scam, back when I was a realtor. Just like realtors allowed to say, not to say it now. So, you know, I locked myself in my room and I remember the day, it was September 11, 2016, I go pick up my friend. Now keep in mind, I had, I had to get my car back. My car, I like the one, remember when everything went down? and move back home, I had to get my car back. So I ended up buying this 2004 Volkswagen Jetta, silver, uh, for about 800 bucks. That was all I had. But the damn car had a bad starter. You guys ever had a bad starter in your car? Raise your hand. Okay, so I'm not alone, right? So if you ever had a bad starter, what do you gotta do to start it? You gotta hit it. You gotta hit it, you gotta knock on it with something. So here I am in my mom's house, I popped the hood, and I have a hammer under my driver's seat. And this hammer is to hammer the starter to get it going. So everywhere I'm going, I'm trying to avoid the ever cutting off the car, but keep in mind I don't have money for gas, so it's a fine line of being embarrassed or running out of gas or knocking on the, the starter. So I go pick my friend up anyways. I'm knocking on, I pick my friend up and I said, all right, we're gonna go do this thing called driving for dollars. You look right, I look left. Keep in mind, this was only three years ago. And we didn't have the technology that we have now, like Deal Machine and all these other apps. So you gotta have Apple Maps open, Redfin open, and you're just screenshotting stuff that you're pinpointing to go home later to enter into Excel and look up on the county records. And this was only three years ago. So we did that for an entire like afternoon. And then we go, I go back home, and then before we go back home, I turn into, I said, let's go to the old neighborhood I lived in. I went to Salem Woods, it was the old neighborhood I lived in. And I pulled into the Main Street neighborhood, and about five houses on the right, there's a house with tall grass. It's got tall grass, bushes, all the signs that everybody, podcast, ever tells you, this is it. That house is what they're talking about in the podcast. So what do I do? I look up the county records when I get home, find out that it's owned by a lady named something something Ayers. I forget what it was. At this point, I don't even know what Ayers mean. 
So I look up what heirs mean, thank God for Google, and I figure out that somebody had passed away and left somebody in their property. So digging and digging, find out that I gotta go to the probate office to find who actually inherited this property. Well, luckily in North Carolina, you can just walk in there and actually file it, they'll give it to you. They gave it to me, I flipped to the first page, and boom, Amy Honeycutt Mitchell is the executor of this estate. Awesome, and right below is her address and phone number. This can't get any better. So I leave, I, uh, at this point I go to my dad's restaurant, I'm standing out front, I remember this clear as day, and I give her a call. And I'm nervous, I have no idea what to say, except for what I've heard on podcasts and YouTube videos. And I say, hey, my name is Max and I'm an investor. I've seen your house near Salem Woods, are you interested in selling it? And she says, um, actually I might be. But let me talk to my husband. He works on the road, and uh, I'll get back to you probably in a week or so. Oh, ain't bad. All right, cool. We hung up. I'm like, hey, look, that, that wasn't bad. That wasn't bad at all. 20 minutes later, the phone rings. I'm like, hello, this is Max. She said, yeah, I actually talked to my husband, and he said we should sell it. I said, great. What do you want for it? I don't know. I said, would you take 30000 she said, mm, I don't know, I'll call you back. About an hour later, she calls me, she says, would you do 40,000? At this point, I knew she had some back taxes. So I said, uh, I can't do 40,000, but here's what I'll do. I'll give you 32,000 cash and I'll pay the back taxes for you. Essentially, it was like a $42,000 offer altogether. Something like that. So. She accepted the offer. I drove to exit 75, met her at a Waffle House. i never forget it because it's on my way to the airport every time I fly out. 75, met her at a Waffle House and got the contract signed. And here I am, I don't know what to do next. I have no idea, so I gotta go refer back to like podcasts. I, I get, take the contract, I go to the house, I go to my mother's house and I steal her lawnmower, her, she, got ride, she got a push mower. So I stole her lawnmower because I wanted to cut the grass and cut the bushes, make it look good so I could take a picture. So I steal the lawnmower, I cut the bushes, cut the grass, cut the bushes, I take a picture and I put it on Facebook Marketplace. And I'm still outside raking up what I've put up and all that stuff, car rolls up. Lady pops out, hey, this house for sale? I was like. <laughs> Yeah, 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 the door's open. She goes in there, five minutes later, her and her friend walks out, says, oh, it's too much work, but thank you. I'm like, dang. Phone call. Hey, you got that house for sale? Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, my husband's out of town, he works at the furniture market, but can he come by and see it tomorrow? I said, sure, door's unlocked, back, there you go. I didn't, couldn't even afford a key box or whatever you call it now. <laughs> So the next day the guy calls me, hey look, I just checked out the house, I like it, hey, can me and my wife come back Sunday? I said, sure, why not? They come back Sunday, they call me, say, hey look, I'll give you 56 for it, or 54 for it, something like that, I don't remember what it was, but I ended up selling it for $54,000. Whatever it was, I made $14,000 in a matter of weeks. And I said, I'm back, baby, I'm back. <laughs> but I didn't tell my mom, right, because she was maybe like pay some bills and stuff, I wasn't ready to do that. So I stayed in that house for almost a year and I built up about $880,000 worth of assignment fees. 
And at that point is when I moved out and finally got my own place. My mom noticed I had money now. All right, here goes rent for the last year. Here you go. Um, but no, it was, it's, it's been a great ride. And here I am. Uh, September 28th has been my three-year anniversary. Um, we have, I have 14 employees. We're moving to a new office that we're building out now, 7,000 square feet. And we're just growing tremendously. We have a multi-million dollar wholesaling business. We do flips. We do buy and holds. Um, I'm buying some apartments and by the end of this year, 32 units. And it's just been a change of life for me very quickly, all in a short amount of time. So for you that know me, you know that I've just documented what I've been doing since day one. It started almost two years ago at the Sean Terry event where I put out like my second video of me traveling with Adam and Brent to that, that event. So here we are now and it's just crazy. But the reason why I'm actually up here is because I'm talking about that mindset. The difference between success and not success doesn't start with the actual knowledge you have, but the actual mindset you have to obtain this information. It's crazy. How many of you guys, raise your hand if you believe you're born as an entrepreneur or you're born smart, you're born dumb. Raise your hand if you just think that you're just born that way, right? So a lot of people actually think that. But the reality is, it's far from the truth. See, I read my first book cover to cover, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, when I was 31 years old. I physically read it. I don't read a lot now, I listen to books. Thank God for Audible, it makes it way easier. So, reading that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, literally changed my entire life. Now, was the book that great? No but it challenged everything that I thought I knew from my previous life. It challenged the way I thought about things. And it's funny because they say that if you have, they say that in your mind, neurons is what your brain is kind of made. Is that word, did I say that word right? Okay. And your brain, when, it, when you do things, when, you, when you're born, you're around mainly 10 people for your entire life. Most of your, most of your life. And those 10 people greatly influence you all the way to you become an independent adult and you're going out and you're working. So these independent things that you pick up, whether it's mannerisms, whether it's things you say, how you speak, it becomes the subconscious mind of what you do. So these two neurons talk, and if you repeatedly do something over and over, it connects, right? So these neurons are talking and shooting at each other, but if you do something over and over again, it starts to build basically like a high-speed network between these two neurons and you subconsciously start doing it without even knowing. How many of you have left work, got in your car, listening to music, doing whatever you do, you haven't thought about any right turn, left turn, and next thing you know you're in the driveway? You didn't even think about how to get home. Your brain is just already doing it for you. And that's what I'm talking about. So you pick up these type of habits all your life. Some of them are good but a lot of them are bad. And that's why 1% of, of the world controls like 98% of the wealth. Because a lot of the things that we're taught and subconsciously pick up are wrong. And we don't know and understand to challenge those things. So what happens is you create that, the communication between the two neurons, me and you and our brain, we're communicating. But we do it so often, you just plug in the uh, ethernet cord, now it just doesn't have to shoot anymore, it's just there. But what happens is the only way to get rid of that connection between that one and that one is you need to have an opposing challenge con 
connection over here that's opposite of that. It sounds weird, but that's what, when I read that book, that's what opened up my mind. Is that I need to start being conscious and challenge everything that I've known and just question it. Just question it. I even question, this is going to be sound funny, am I really supposed to wear this shoe on that foot and that on that one? How do I know my entire life that I've been told a lie? What if there's an island somewhere of all these track stars and from the time they're born, they're actually putting the right foot on the left one and the left one on the right one and it makes them run faster? Think about it. Do you know if you're doing it right? You question it now, right? You really don't know. So I know that sounds silly, but there's so many things that we do in this world that we never challenge because the 10 people that we hung around most of our life just did it that way. So I know this sounds weird, but you have to start going through life and start challenging, even if it sounds simple. How many of you guys put the cereal, the milk in the bowl before the cereal? That's weird, right? What if that's what you're supposed to do? Because <laughs> you ever in there measuring the milk and like, oh, that ain't enough. Maybe you're supposed to pour the cereal in after the milk. I don't know. But you need to challenge the way you think in order to get what you already don't have. Because there's, do you agree that you may be doing some things wrong in your life and you just subconsciously don't know? Like the way we think of money. How many of you think money is a limited thing? Right? We're not going to answer the truth now, but a lot of us think money is a limited thing. I used to think money was a limited thing. Until I realized it's everywhere. They print that shit every day. It ain't going nowhere. So when you realize that, you start to think, wait, wait, wait. You know, how many people have you met? We all have friends, right? Must be a storm coming. I got to go. I don't want to come here for no tornadoes, Brent. No hurricanes. So how many of you have friends that always got this business idea, but the only thing that's holding them back is money? Oh, my God. Don't you hate those people? Oh, I got this great idea, you know? Well, great, why didn't you do nothing? I ain't got no money. Well, a lot of us in this room started and are successful now with zero money. So we have to reprogram ourselves on everything we do. Everything we do. You know, they did this study, uh, I believe it was some Harvard professors. I've never been to Harvard. I probably, would, I probably can't even walk on the campus. That's how dumb I am, right? So they did this study with... Um, what do you call them? Uh, uh, people that clean up hotels. I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank. Housekeepers, sorry. They did a study with about 76 housekeepers across the entire U.S. And what they did is that they met with these housekeepers and it was all these housekeepers in one room. And they said, how many of you guys work out every single day? None of them raised their hand. None of them raised their hand. They didn't do any workout. So what happens is the actual Surgeon General said the actual activity that they do on their day-to-day -day was already met the requirement for daily activity to be a healthy individual. So what they did is they split the room down the middle. They took half of them in one room, half of them in the other room, and then they showed them the study that actually what you do every single day meets and actually exceeds what the Surgeon General says you're supposed to do to be a healthy individual. And then they went to the other room and they didn't tell them anything. They just said, hey, we just want to pay you, we're going to observe what you do, blah, blah, blah. So they meet back about six months later, 
And what do you think happened? The people that subconsciously knew that what they were doing every single day was actually benefiting their health to get them towards healthy, they actually lost weight, they loved their job more, they felt healthier. And over on this side, in this room, zero effect. They still felt the same they did six months before. So what do you, so what do you think that is? It's the subconscious mind knowing something. And you guys all came here to get information, right? On how to grow and excel your business. If you came here to learn how to grow and excel your business, raise your hand. Right? But the truth is, unless you believe and change your mindset that the information that you are going to receive is actually correct and can actually take you to the next level, and being rich is not just a dream, and being successful is not something you just see on the TV and the internet, the information that you're going to get from the next couple days from these speakers is what's actually going to take you there. It's going to help you scale or it's going to help you get started. Whatever it is you're trying to achieve, the information is going to be in this building for the next two days. So don't be in the room over here with these housekeepers that don't know. You need to be on this side to know that the information you are about to receive is going to get you to that next level. And every day you wake up, I want you to challenge what you know. Challenge your beliefs. There is nothing special about me. I am a living testament that you do not have to be smart to be a millionaire. I am not smart by any chance. I cannot pass anything. I can probably not do algebra right now. Because you know my teacher lied to me my whole life. She said, would you think you're gonna have a calculator with you everywhere you go? You're damn right, you got an iPhone. Got it everywhere, huh? I went back to speak in my school the other day and I walked in there with my calculator in my phone like, they lied to us. Yeah, I got, I got a calculator everywhere I go actually. I can pull it up on my watch if I want. When you start challenging yourself, you start to think more, right? I used to watch football. I used to spend, I don't know how many hours a week obtaining, watching football. It's silly. You're watching a bunch of millionaires running around controlled by a bunch of billionaires and we at home ain't making no money watching them. They say an average football game is three hours. You know how many action is in a three hour game? Eight minutes. It's actually eight minutes of action in a three hour game. I'll watch it on Instagram. I ain't got three hours to give you. I used to watch Sunday football. I used to watch Red Zone when they talked about it. I used to watch the games, this one that come on at 12.30, all the way till at night. I used to watch Monday night football, Thursday night football. My whole life was consumed by watching other people do what they was doing. I challenge myself so much, I don't even listen to music in the car no more. Don't go on a road trip with me. You're gonna hate it. Because we gonna listen to the tires on the road and you just gonna think. I love thinking. I love challenging everything I'm doing. So I want you to adopt that. And just challenge, and your friends are gonna look at you weird. They gotta have no idea. Like, how many friends, how many people you got friends that live for Friday? They just like, oh, it's Friday. Well, I'm gonna meet you. You go, where you going tonight? I'm at home by 7:30, sleep by 10:30. I ain't got time for it. And it's the normal, we've just grown up like that. 21, I'm going to drink. Yeah, I'm at the club every weekend, be drinking every weekend. Challenge that thought. Take that time and invest in yourself. That's all I'm saying. Is this, listen, three years ago I was broke. 
three years ago. Now, we looked, I looked, oh man, I was, I had heartburn the other day. I was looking at my statements, giving my bookkeeper, in the last three months, I spent $552,000. Just to be able to do that is what I'm talking about. I'm not bragging, I'm just saying, to be able to spend that money and not even notice, that's where you want to be at. But it's only here. You can sit here in front of the best wholesalers, real estate guys, Adam's dad can give you all the, the gems you're ever going to need in life to succeed. But if you do not believe what you're about to hear is it, then it doesn't matter. You might as well get up and leave now. And I think they don't give refunds, so if you get up, you're just going to get up. <laughs> right? So I'm not going to sit up here and just bore you guys out with stories and stories, but I really want you to challenge yourself. Right? So I think we have a few microphones for Q&A, right? Yes, we do. Yeah. On either side of the room. So if you guys want to ask some questions about anything, about my business, about uh, the success I've had with social media and how to obtain stuff like that, feel free to go along. If not, I'm going to get off stage. No, you're not going to get off stage. Okay, so, so I'm not going to get off stage. So there's microphones on the side if you want to stand up or you can project very loudly. You can I promise I won't bite. <laughs> so who has a question? Do you have a question? Just stand up. On either side or? Yeah. There you go. So what, first of all, you're very inspiring. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. Secondly, what do you find is something successful as far as a lead generator? That's a big one. Um, Will you repeat the question, Max? Yeah, she said, what do, I, what do I use or what do I see as something that is successful as a lead generator? Correct. Right, so I'm, I'm still cheap these days. I'm very cheap. I love to do things that don't take a lot of time, but are very effective, right? So I'm very big in, in RVMs and text messages. Um, so if I were just to show you what my business looks like, what we do is we get, uh, we get data, and we call these potential prospects, right? And imagine my business is a conveyor belt that continuously moves. And what happens is a list gets dropped on the conveyor belt and the first place it stops is my cheapest method of marketing, right? So my, right now, my cheapest method of marketing is RVMs. What? Okay. RVMs, sorry, ringless voicemails. I'll explain that. So what happens is, uh, ringless voicemails have been around forever. Essentially what it does, I'm gonna give you the real layman, I'm dumb terms, because that's how I had to learn it. What happens is technology can send two phone calls to the same number at the same time, not allowing any of them to go through essentially only open up the voicemail for you to leave your pre-recorded voicemail in their inbox. Sometimes technology fails a little bit, they may get a ring or a ring and a half, but it's still gonna leave the voicemail in their voicemail box. And what we do this is we send five, six, seven thousand of these a day, and it leads back to a voicemail, right? And it sounds very non-salesy, very non-marketing. It sounds like I just called you, what's your name? Vincent, right? So I'm not going to say his name because I'm sending it to 5,000 people, but I'm going to say, hey, this is Max. Um, you know what? I'm not even sure if I got the right number. I was driving in a neighborhood, and I think you may have a house for sale. And if you do, hey, just give me a call back. And uh, look, if I got the wrong number, I apologize. And if you can call me or just text me. Uh, thanks for your time. I leave a voicemail like that. Now, if you got a voicemail like that, you probably think, hey, this guy actually just called me. No, you're not special. There's 4,999 people just got that same voicemail, right? And so what that does is that creates an outbound marketing effort that turns it into an inbound so that my team is not continuously having to do stuff that turns outbound, outbound, outbound. 
So the people that are actually truly interested and listen to the voicemail usually call back a few hours later or the following day. Um, and I'll be talking later about something that we developed that makes it um, so much easier to talk to the people because you know who they are before they call. So back in the days, there was a company called like Grasshopper, Greenhopper or something, where you could send RVMs. So we'd send out 10,000 RVMs and the people would start calling back and we would challenge ourselves to pick it up live. But what happens is when they call back, we wouldn't know who they were talking to, who we were talking to. So now that personal voicemail I left sounds like I'm a scam because I'd actually say, I, I should pick up the phone, hey Vincent. But I'm like, hey, this is Max. Uh, hey, yeah, you called me by my property. Uh, what property, sir? I'm actually not up in front of my computer. Can you tell me? So that was our line all the time. I'm not in front of my computer. Can you tell me what property? And then the red flags will start going up. This always sounds like a telemarketer call at this point. Then you get to click, you get cussed out or whatever it is. So we've, we've eliminated that with some technology. But RVMs is the way we do. We also love SMS text messaging. Um, we like that because it's easy to have somebody sit at the computer all day and click a button and it sends out a text message. And we change our text message every five or 10 messages and it's templated where we have probably 10 pre-text uh, pre messages and it goes out and you start having conversations with people because that's what people like to, people like to text. So how I explain to my acquisition people, how I explain to my acquisition people is that, hey, think about yourself. How many in here has a cell phone? Raise your hand. Everybody, I guess. Y'all don't have cell phones, Mississippi? <laughs> okay, so what happens is, for me, if you were to leave me a voice, I haven't listened to a voicemail in probably five years. Anybody else like that? They don't listen to no voicemail. So if you were to do an RVM with me, guess what? It ain't gonna work, because I don't listen to voicemails. If you were to send me a postcard in the mail, I ain't gonna get it, because I don't check my mail. So if you're sending me a bill in the mail, you ain't getting paid. You better send it to me an email. So those two marketing efforts are not going to work on me as an individual. See, Brent and I were in the marketing world, and we always had to think realistically on how to reach this consumer the way they wanted to be reached. So RVMs is not going to work for me. Your mail me is not going to work for me. How many of you guys don't pick up unknown phone numbers when they call you? Guess what? Cold call ain't going to work on you either. So you gotta text that person. Because most, most people are gonna open up their text messages. Now how many people in here answer every single phone call that comes to their phone? Raise your hand. There's a few people in here. Guy that works for me, he hates to miss a phone call. So cold calling would work on you. How many of you guys love running to the mailbox around five o'clock to check your mail? Raise your hand. You see what I'm saying? You're gonna get CC on a postcard. Unless it's a prime box. You know, so what I'm saying is you always have to have different methods of marketing to reach that person. And you have to say, which profile would you fit? Vincent, how would I get you? Probably text. Probably text. See what I'm saying? How would I get you? I'll call. What about you? Text me. What about you, sir? Texting. Right? So now you have to start thinking, wait, these are my actual prospects out there in the land of real estate. And if all I did was send postcards, how many of you don't check the mail? Don't, don't look at junk mail. How many don't look at junk mail? All right, so all of those guys, wipe them off your board. You're never gonna get a deal from them if that's all you do. So that's why we have a conveyor belt method on our business where we start with the cheapest methoding market, which is RVM, text messaging, cold calling, and then, we, and then finally we put everybody in the mail, in a mailing drip. So here's, what, so here's what it looks like. You got RVMs, 
We do three rounds of RVMs. Each time we hear from a person, we wipe them off the list. It's called rehashing. So if I send my first set of RVMs, let's just say I send 1,000. And let's just say 200 people call me back or say F you or say whatever. Those 200 come off. So the next round of RVMs is only 800. And now 100 people did something. So the next round, 700. So now nobody responded on that 700. So the 700 list now goes to text messaging. First round of text messaging, 300 people reply. Now my list is only 400. And then the second round, 100 people reply. Now we only have 300, whatever, whatever, you get where I'm going. We get all the way to the end to where nobody responds and the list is now, that started as 1,000 is now only 200. Now I'm only postcarding 200 people for six weeks. So I don't spend all the money because postcards are the most expensive way to reach a person. But I've exhausted every option and realized that their method of communication is at the end and it's postcards. Or it might not even be postcards. You may just never get a hold of the person. But that's how we have our business. Our business rocks way over 60% when it comes to every dollar that we bring in the company, 60% stays. Because we worked out the kinks to have our marketing to where we're not spending just oh, everybody gets a postcard, everybody gets this. We run it through a conveyor belt type system. I know that was like a 10 minute answer to probably like a two minute thing, but I just love real estate, so sorry. Thank you. Who's next? Next question. Oh, he's right here in front of me. Uh, Eric, hold on. You gotta mic this one so we can get it on video. Pass it off to somebody else. So when you first started out, um, when it comes to expanding, what was your biggest hurdle when it comes to uh, expanding your business? You know, one of my first hires, one of my first hires was Alexis. She still works for me. Um, all of my VMs that I've hired, except for one, all still work for me. So one thing I would say is I did not like doing the admin work. What I did like doing in the beginning is getting on the phone and making those phone calls. So every day I would try to call 200 people every single day. But what, in order to do that, I had to build the list, get the list skip traded, and do that every night. So I wasn't buying lists, I was doing it at the courthouse or online through records and then converting it to Excel and then turn it to skip tracing and then, so what happens is, I was like, this is too much. I, I actually like to go to bed at 10.30. I'm not a late person. So what happens is I hired a VA to work while I'm sleeping. So Alexis, she still does that to today. She manages all of our lists, she codes it, she does all that stuff, so that, and she knows, everybody knows our conveyor belt system. So that was a, a thing I hated doing. I got fired myself from that position. The next thing I hated doing was actually answering any inbound calls from marketing that we put out. So I was very heavy in bandit signs in the beginning. It's one of the cheaper methods. I could control it. It was something physical I could touch. I used to put out 100 banner signs every single week. So what happens is I hated answering those phone calls because guess what I was doing? I was actually on appointments to houses. So I couldn't answer everything. And then I started qualifying people from the voicemail they left. Don't do that. That's bad. Right? So you want to answer any inbound call that you get from your outbound marketing live. So I hired a Leica. Leica is my lead manager. She answers every single phone call that comes into the company. So now I created this system to where it's somebody's pulling my data, somebody's answering my phone calls, and I'm only dealing with the people who they truly already talked to that's been answered the phone call in the first, the first ring. And now I'm just going on appointments, and the only thing I'm doing is a pre-call appointment. I'm doing a call prior to the appointment to make sure everything is still set, and I'm going to see you in uh, an hour. So do what, pick what you hate, or you're not the best at, and train somebody else to do it for you. 
And that's how I expand. So I went from doing like two or three deals a month, and that's what got me to like the five, six, sometimes seven deals a month right there, was hiring the, the, the virtual assistants, my remote employees around me. Yes, sir. She's going to get the uh, microphone for you. So going back to the lead generation, uh, generator question, uh, what text messaging system are you using? So in the beginning, we were using a text messaging system called Sherpa, uh, built by Jason. And then about six months ago, we built our own inside of REI Rail, and we've been testing it and rigorously running through it. Some of our customers still have it. Um, but that's what I use now is, is REI Rail has a built-in text messaging. And what we did is we had to make sure it was TCPA compliant, which means that you're just not firing off messages that are legal. And what happens is you click a button, it goes to a part. You need a human interaction for every message that is sent out, right? So um, REI Rail, I believe, releases that Gen 2 of its software next week or something like that. And that's what I'll RVMs too, right? Yeah, so you have your RVM system, your skip tracing system, and your uh, text messaging system all in one package. Okay, cool. Good question. She said, she asked, do I have my text messaging set up as a, yes. So everything we do in this business have a different phone number. We use CallRail because CallRail has marketing numbers so you can track and, and the effort of whatever you're doing, right? So let's just use this. So let's just say you got some marketing money and you want to spend it. You put uh, a billboard up in your city, put a few billboards up, and you say, all right, I'm going to run ads on the side of a bus. Well, every single marketing method needs its own number. And the reason is, is because I want to track how many calls I get from that. Now, they all lead into the office, but what happens is when they pick up the phone, it says, call from bus. That way we know it's a bus. And then every week, I can look and track to see how many calls came in. So we do that on every single marketing method that we do. Now, in the text messaging, we have about six numbers in there. But the system that you do will always track that for you. So whatever system, whether it's Sherpa, whether it's REIRL, whether you use any other type of messaging system out there, they're all going to track it and provide you with your own numbers. But yes, it's important to track every type of marketing. If you're sending postcards, you need to set up a number. If you're putting bandit signs, you need to have a whole separate number on that one. So you can track because what you want to do at the end of the month, you say, look, I got five calls from the side of the bus. I got zero calls from the billboard. We're ditching the billboard. You don't want to keep spending money and not be able to track it. Yes, sir. Uh, how are you doing, Max, man? Um, when you hired uh, Leica, yes. how did you, like, going through that process, did you, like, put out a post on like, Upwork or? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the question he asked was, how did I hire my first virtual assistant? And essentially, I just started looking online, and then there was this thing called onlinejobs.ph, which is a website in the Philippines. What happens is, actually, the culture in the Philippines is that they actually want to work from home. It's like the best job. If you're to work from home and make a better salary than actually going away from home every day, it's one of the better jobs. So onlinejobs.ph, and what I did was I put out, I paid for the $59 or $50 a month subscription or premium so people would see my ad. And what happened is I put the skills that I needed for this person. Speak English well, blah, blah, blah. And then what I did is I set up a call rail number and I made it a 1-800 number. 
And I had them call in and read a script that I left in the description of the actual thing to see if they can actually speak English well enough that I liked them. And for the ones that did exactly what I said in there, I called them back. One, I knew that they already know how to speak well enough English that they didn't, there was not such a big difference. And honestly, my first hire, Alexis, she was the training, she was the hiring manager at a call center for DirecTV in the Philippines. So I lucked up when I stole her from there because when I wanted to hire her the next time, she knew everybody. So she hired her best friend, which is a training manager, uh, Laika. And then when I need another one, they went out and hired somebody else for me. And then it just made it simple. So I did luck up, but if you want to find somebody, I still would resource to using online jobs PH. And if you know you're not good at that, then you need to hire a service that will find somebody for you. Over here, Max. How you doing? Good morning, Max. How are you? Doing well. Uh, personally, what I struggle most with in cold calling is that rejection. You know, you're calling, it's call after call after call, and people just shoot you down saying yeah. things to you. I mean, it's been pretty bad. And kind of sticking with your theme of mindset, what's, what are some good mindsets that you've gotten into when maybe you've had days where it's just, you've done nothing but get shot down? All right, so when we leave here tonight, you and I are going to go to the bar, and we're just going to get shot down left and right. That's just going to build your skin. You're just going to leave there, and you're just going to be like, you know what? There's nothing worse than tonight. They can't hurt me. Yeah, a little bit of tequila will help you. But no, honestly, um, what you have to realize is that it's just another person on the side of the phone, and getting a no is not that bad. It's actually good you got a no, because what hurts our business is maybe. Ah, uh, maybe I want to sell. What do you mean? It's yes or no. So just getting the rejection, sometimes it's just, it's just repetition, right? And to realize that a no is actually a good thing, but that the next phone call could be a yes, and that could be your 13,000, 14,000, 20,000 deal. It's just that it doesn't hurt. And I think you may be taking it too personable, but think about if somebody called you, and you had a house, and they were like, hey, you wanna sell it? Like, no, it's not a bad thing. You just don't wanna sell, and just move on. I, I get it, in the beginning too, I think everybody fears that rejection. But then you realize that if you're just like polite and you just have a good time with it, I think Adam's pretty good. He's good at getting rejected. <laughs> but no, he's like good on it on the phone too. Like he's like, he makes, he makes it a, a thing and he's real good at like, okay, cool, well, great. You know anybody else? You know, and you just kind of don't take it personal. You move on. It's just a thing where you have to build that rhino skin. Yeah, you're going to get cussed out. It sucks. But I grew up, my mom grew up cussing me out, so it was just like I was built for this. Right? So you just get just get the get the tough skin, you know what I mean? It's just gonna take some time. But I promise you a lot of people in here started with cold calling and it, it, it takes some time to get to that point. But I mean what's a no? What's a no? Ask me for some money right now. No. You know, so there goes the start. You're already on the way. One no today. Ask everybody else too. By the time you leave here, you're gonna have real thick skin. Good Anybody afternoon, else? Max. How you doing? I love that persona that you have today, but I also love the other side of excitement. Are we going to get that? What side? What side is that? I got to turn it on. The excited part. The live part. <laughs> is that what it's called today? Live. It is. It is. <laughs> it is live. You know, and I, I am open up the show. And my thing is to set your mindset so that you can enjoy the rest of the, two, the, the day and tomorrow that you're here. Um, All right. I have a question for sure. you. Sure. When do you know to hire 
And then the second one is, when you follow up on your leads, how many times should you follow up and then shut it down if you're not getting the right response? Those are both great questions. How do you know when you're supposed to hire is a question you get all the time. Is when you start to feel overwhelmed or when you can afford it with a runway without any expectations of success. Those are the two things. So it could be a combination of both. But when you need to start hiring is when you're missing things. When I realized that I needed Leica, the second person, was when I was missing phone calls at appointments and only thing I was doing was qualifying people through voicemails. So I realized that there was a gap in my business that I needed to pick, I needed to fix it, I needed to plug it. You know, good people that know how to hire go out and do this early. I just wasn't one of them. I didn't realize that it was happening to me. But some people realize this very early and then you also got to think about, can I afford these people, right? Because when you hire somebody, they make a commitment to you and you should make a commitment to them, right? Even though, and I talked about this year, a year ago, I hate when people, there's almost like a bad name with virtual assistants, like they're not people. They're not humans. These are real people. They just happen to be okay with a three or four dollar an hour job, which works well for their country. So you have to make that commitment. Can, can, do you have... And I'm not saying once you hire somebody, you gotta keep them. If they're bad, they're bad, you can fire them. But do you have the ability to run three, four, five months and not expect any results from this person? Because you also have to train these people. So there's a real runway, and I feel very obligated. With my 14 employees, I know that I have a responsibility to wake up every morning to make sure, as a fact, today's payroll, make sure that everybody gets paid because not only do my employees count on me, their families count on me. And, and whatever else they got to do. So there's a web of people that are responsible for it. So always look, I know I'm going off on a tangent, but always make sure that you respect that a virtual assistant is just a remote employee and just somebody else that lives 8,500 miles away from here. They're just people just like you and I. So the answer is hire when you feel like you're, you're, you're about to lose some parts of your business or hire when you know you're not good at something, but you need to, you, it needs to be plugged, that hole needs to be plugged. And then also when you have the money to afford it to go keep going. And then the second thing about follow-up is we love follow-up. And we follow up all the way until that person says, remove us from your list and do not call me anymore. It's just a game we play. Because I've seen it too many times in the beginning of my business where I didn't do that, and you go back and check like your old podio and you start to put things in Zillow, like, holy crap, that house sold. And, and that lady just told me that she just wasn't interested at the moment, that I didn't follow up. And I've seen that repeatedly over and over again. So you wanna follow up all the way until they say, remove me from your list, do not call me no more, they just like give you a big F you. And sometimes F you means call back two weeks, it just depends. <laughs> so you gotta really decipher how, how they said it. Hey, what's up, Max? Where are you? How you doing? Pretty good. Uh, it took me about a year to get my first deal, and mm -hmm. since I got it, people were saying, watch the snowball effect happen, and it's been happening. But the biggest issue I've been having so far is trying to figure out how to zone in on the marketing channels. Because mm -hmm. for the most part, like, I've got to deal off everything, but I can't do everything because I feel spread too thin, and it takes too much time out of the day to either sit there and cold call or drive for dollars. So it's like trying to manage it all, yeah. any advice on trying to manage, because like I say, all of my deals have come from different marketing streams, and all of my deals came from surrounding cities. I just closed my first two deals in my city this beginning of this month. So it's just trying to figure out that balance of how to pick what works for me. What has brought you the most success? Um, so far, I probably, 
don't know. Like so far, I mean, driving for dollars, I found hidden gems. Like I just closed like the biggest deal I've had this month, and that was from driving for dollars. Okay, what else has been your big? So name two things that's been success. That and probably like the text blast, text messaging. So two things that's worked for you well in your business that's great. You brought you great ROI is driving for dollars and texting. So. It, it's it's as entrepreneurs we have that shiny syndrome where we want to chase every single marketing thing every time somebody drops a new product you're going over there and your credit card just overloaded with monthly drafts stop it pick two things that work for you well reverse engineer and get great at them right there's a lot of people in this world that solve one problem and they are so wealthy pick one or two get great at it and then master something and move on to the next one right because what happens is you start chasing everything and you get nothing so you need to be good at a few things, master them, and then move on. All right? Does that, does that help? Yeah. Cool. Is that it? Hold on. You still got time. Good morning, Max. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name is Shamara Smith from Richmond, Virginia. Graduated. Oh, Shamara, I can't see you, but I recognize your voice. Yeah, I've seen you a few times. Yes. Um, so graduated last year, started my W-2, went to your event in March, and have been doing deals ever since. My goal is to leave my W-2 next year using the Burr method. I actually have five properties in Petersburg right now that I'm looking for funding for, so any private lenders in the room, I would definitely like to connect with you before the weekend is over. Yes, yes. Uh, but what I wanted to ask you about was dealing with seller objections. I have a deal right now that um, I've never done anything like it before. So there's a bunch of equity in the house, about 170000 but it's about to go into foreclosure and they still owe 70000 on this deal. So what I wanted to do with them is basically um, get the house under contract, have somebody else buy it, and then owner finance it back to um, these people because they still want to live in their house. But what they, they think this is too good to be true and they want to file for bankruptcy instead. Have you ever dealt with seller objections regarding bankruptcy and how should I um, deal with this deal? Yeah, one thing we really try to avoid is any lease back to any tenant that had problem paying their actual mortgage to begin with. And then it becomes a sticky situation. Um, I've never done a deal like that. I've actually avoided those deals on purpose because I don't want to save somebody from a foreclosure and then leave them in the house for them to make payments back to me or whoever assumes it. It's just a messy situation. Um, it's, they're emotionally attached to the property, and sometimes people, it's hard for them to face reality, and they'll make, they may ride that all the way to the end, of where they actually bank just takes it back and they lose their equity. But what you have to do is be helpful, because you're there to solve a problem, but you also have to be stern that it needs to be beneficial for both parties, okay? So what you can get them is maybe some of that equity back, and maybe a sub two, or maybe just a straight cash offer, but you cannot let them live in that property beyond that. A lot of people, a lot of investors don't like leasing back to the same individual that couldn't maintain the mortgage in the first place. Um, it's just, just too much risk involved in that. So um, solve their problem, but you also need to be beneficial to both people. They can, in, on this deal, they can walk away with cash and start over. Solving the problem is you don't have to go to foreclosure don't have to go to bankruptcy so in a year or two you can go back and buy another home but they sometimes people it's hard for people to face reality when it comes to that they're losing a property so don't promise them that they can do a lease back because it just people don't even like it it's, it's hard to find an investor that's willing to do a lease back but you can give them cash and they can go about their way and you can solve the problem of bankruptcy
You're welcome. We have one here with the microphone. Yeah, um, I failed to say earlier, I'm Sharon Rock from Covington, Louisiana, about an hour and a half or so from here. My other question um, from earlier, whenever you're talking about um, lists, how do you go about, for example, I have a partner in another state, mm -hmm. and he has been asking me to see if, like, in Louisiana, I'm not sure about laws and stuff, so that's what we're kind of running into, about obtaining lists from, like, title companies and things like that to be able to skip trace when it comes to probates or divorces or things like that. So what do you find or hear is one of the best ways to obtain lists of people um, that you can look into helping? So um, here's how I would approach it. Now, specifically speaking about Louisiana, I'm not 100% not sure, but you have somebody from, where is that, 505 board buyers right there? 504 home buyers. He can, he can help you out just to Louisiana. Sharon, we'll but, get, I wrote your name down. We'll get together later. Thank you. Perfect. So that's that's. Didn't somebody said there's two masterminds. There's two events going on in the here and out here. I think Adam said that. But the point that I'm making is, what you want to do is identify problems that you want to solve, right? And then understand how this problem goes is exhausted, right? So I understand tax foreclosures and deed foreclosures very well in the state of North Carolina, and I mastered that. And I became, I, I know the process according to the state statute, what they must follow, how it must go. And my job is to insert myself in that early as possible. So what that kind of means is, right, if you want to be the best bre uh, breast cancer doctor in the world, right, the best breast cancer doctor in the world is going to have the best method of identifying cancer early as possible. It will improve his success rates if he can identify the problem as early as possible. So you have to look at yourself as a specialist, a specialist when it comes to real estate investing, especially uh, you're a doctor when it comes to real estate. And you have a specialty in whatever it is you're trying to figure out. And put yourself early as possible in the situation, in the problem that if they don't want to sell it now, they might want to sell it at this point, or at this point, or at this point. But you want to identify it early as possible so you can help that person with their situation, and then Go all the way to the end. But obtaining lists is what you, it, it depends what you want to do. So if you say, hey, I love tax delinquent, somebody right there can show you how to get that in the state of Louisiana. I hope that makes sense though. But don't go after everything, just go after something that you really want to master. You're welcome. Brother Max, what's, what's going, going on, Master on? Sergeant? Hey, what's happening? You know, people rock since we live the first one. Yes, sir. So you remember when I had no deals? No deals. Now I got a good amount of deals. So with that, I have a six-figure war chest, and I have no idea what to do with it. That's a great problem to have. It is, though. I mean, I've been buying up rentals. I feel like Mr. Uh, Adams' dad, Mr. Johnson, is going to be able to help you speak on that. Okay. Now, here, here's the truth. I'm a new millionaire, too. So I'm not going to go speak on things that I really don't you know, fully understand. But his story is actually, I'm out of time, actually. His story is actually. Uh, you're Oh, that's fine. We're good with that. But but his story is, is interesting. Uh, are you still active now or you left? I'm still active. So he's an active duty Air Force Master Sergeant that came to our conference. He was on the path of retirement. You were in Korea, but you knew that you needed to get a head start on life and you didn't want to just leave Korea and come right back into the civilian world. So he got into real estate. And at this point, at this point right now, you've, you've since about a year now, how many deals have you done? About 15. 15 deals, and he's has saved up over six figures, and still active duty. Still active. But retirement's looking a lot better. <laughs> so give him a round of applause. Yeah. Uh, I'll answer 
have your question after. Come find me on break, because I got to wrap this up. I'm running into somebody else's time, right? No? It's your time. It's your is it? Um, I can or I can't. It depends. You guys want to talk about RVMs a little bit? Yeah. Okay. Do I have a slide or no? We have your one slide. Okay. Never mind. That's it. That's all right. So it'd be a lot better if I did have the slides. I, I'm late. She knows that. Just, I did have some slides. Um, but I'm only going to take a few minutes. So the processes of RVM is is what and I spoke on this earlier. Back in the day, when I say back in the day, like two years ago, uh, two years ago we used to send a lot of RVMs. It was like our secret weapon when it came to reaching so many people at once, right? Because I was the one that came out and said, look, cold calling, cold calling, I love cold calling. Like, because I did, it was cheap, right? I didn't have to spend any money, like mail. Everybody was talking mail, mail, mail. Um, so RVMs, what we have developed is an RVM process to where you get your list, and you, you record your voicemail and you send out how many other, how many voicemails you want to send out. And what happens in the past now that, in the past when they call back you didn't know who they are. So with our software, milliseconds before the phone rings, the property associated with the person that you've uploaded pops up in front of your screen. And we've invented this technology called Deep Trace. If you have it activated on the software, it goes and searches the entire internet for everything about this person and it puts it in front of you. So you know what college they went to. You know where they actively work now. You know everything about them so you can have an intelligent conversation with that person and maybe bring up that if they went to Clemson, you may start talking about the Tigers. Or if you see that they work at Pepsi-Cola like my dad did, you may bring up that you like Pepsi or that you're cracking open a Pepsi, right? It just sounds weird, but what happens is anytime you're having a conversation, you need to hack the trust equation. How many of you guys get marketing calls and you know right away and you hang up? We all do it. But you have to di disarm these people within two to four seconds of the phone call. And you do that by knowing things about them. But it's good when somebody calls, you have the property information, the tax value, everything in front of you. Everything about them, they're everything you need to know about them. So that's what we developed with our system, REI Rail. And We've had it out for like a year now, it's a year, September has been a year, and it's just been a game changer for a lot of people. And this, how many people actively do RVMs? You guys like them? Yeah. yeah. What do you see as some of the best methods that you have when it comes to RVMs? To be able to filter uh, them when they call back, they can go ahead and get on the do not call list rather than have to pick up the phone and get cussed out. Correct. So what happens is he says the feature he likes is that he leaves his voicemail and if people just don't want to be bothered, they can use some type of press one or something like that that removes them from your active list. That way you just avoid talking to people that are going to give you the rejections. Where's my rejection guy? This is going to be great for you because you don't even have to talk to them. because they, unless Now there are some people that are adamant that will go through their entire system just to cuss you out. Right? They'll do all everything they need to go get to and be like, you, my, oh my God. So, but you're gonna have to deal with those people. Uh, who else does RVMs? What do you like best about your RVMs? Uh, the same thing, I mean, I was like a one-man band, so I mean, being able to dump like 10,000 of those voicemails a day and get five feeds back. Yep. With very minimum amount of time. Yep. And, and the cost is very effective. So anybody that has a full-time job that wants to get in this business, they say, hey, look, I'm lacking time. I understand, look, people, as there's people that are school teachers, people that are truck drivers, everything else. 
that want to do this business but have a limited amount of time. Doing RVMs, like he says, allows him to wake up in the morning, schedule his drops at a certain time, 2,000 go out, when he gets off of work, he listens to the five voicemails, and he keeps trucking, he keeps going. He now has qualified people that are actually interested in what he said in the voicemail. So that eliminates you having all this staff and all these people and stuff like that, correct? So that's another one of the benefits. Who else is, is RVMing that has something different? Where are we at? Yes, sir. What about you? I just like the fact that it's cost effective, like you said. But what we do with our RVMs is if anybody calls us back, we send them an automatic text because it's possible to answer all of it. So if, if they leave a voice, we don't, we don't call them back unless they leave a voicemail, they respond to our text, or, you know, or they call more than once. You know? So Got we, we send out tons of uh, RVMs in, uh, in New Orleans, it's 504 home buyers, uh, just, just to let y'all know. Uh, but yeah, so I just like the fact that we could automate it. We have a virtual assistant who, who goes through all of our voicemails, lets us know what's leads, what's mm -hmm. not. And the fact that, you know, we'll send that automatic text, hey, look, this is Troy. I'm sorry, I can't answer the phone right now. What was that property you was calling about? Yeah, so what he loves about it is it's great. He actually filters upon filters. So what happens is when they call back and leave a voicemail, they don't, they don't pick it up. They automatically send them a text message, like, you know, that who's got the iPhone where you can hit, hey, I'm in a meeting, I'll call you back. It's very similar to that. And it says, hey, look, this is Troy, sorry, I can't answer the phone. What property are you talking about? And then when they respond, they, they jump through two hoops to be able to sell you their property. You know they're interested. Right, so he eliminates, and he has a virtual assistant that listens to the voicemail, so even the ones that do cuss you out, you never hear it. Right. Yeah. So that's a good way to utilize RVMs. I love them. I love the crap out of RVMs. It's something that, as a one-man show or as a big operation, it's very cheap to be able to do. Yeah, so you have your own tracking numbers, or our system, what our system does is it creates a tracking number for the campaign. So let's just say you have the Louisiana, uh, New Orleans tax delinquent list. You upload that list, and that campaign gets its own tracking number. Get what I'm saying? So now everybody that calls back into that, you now see your entire call log, who called, it pops up in front of you, um, all types of stuff. If I had slides, it would be sexy, but I can't show you slides. Back to the states that are in you know, I've been hearing a lot about that. Um, let's just say this business, and this is my opinion, and my opinion only, there's a risk versus reward on a lot of things you do, right? And, you know, you can risk failing, or you can get a $10,000 fine, right? It might happen once or twice a year, but if the odds are in your favor, you know, sometimes it's worth paying a $10,000 fine. Make two million, pay ten thousand. Uncle Sam's takes three, four hundred grand anyways. You might as well add it up. So the point that I'm making, yeah, I've heard that. I don't specifically know. I haven't talked to my attorney about it. We've been more worried about the TCPA compliance with text messaging. Um, but yeah, I'm sure there are some states where the attorney generals are trying to crack down on it because a lot of people are doing insurance fraud and, and all. I mean, I get calls all every day sometimes about you got something, something, something. I'm like, no, I don't. But yeah, so there is probably some states that are less friendly with them. But as long as you leave a voicemail that sounds like you're genuine, yeah, don't leave. Hey, this is uh, such and such home buyers. We in your neighborhood looking to buy houses. That I'm gonna. That's gonna be spam. If it's more like, hey, my name is Max. I'm in your neighborhood. I see that you have a house. Blah 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 blah. That doesn't sound like I need to report you to the attorney general. 
just a little different. Have a blessed day. Yeah, have a blessed day. <laughs> yes, sir. Do you guys actively scrub? I know it's kind of a touchy situation, but do you actually scrub against the DNC or not? The only reason I ask is I just got out of a lawsuit that I mm -hmm. did get sued. I yeah. won, but it's not fun, like you said. And I didn't then because I know my competition doesn't. So yeah. they, I scrub and they don't, then I'm missing out on deals. So uh, this is, uh, this is I'm not giving you any advice at all. This is just I'm tell you, ask what I do. And what I do is I scrub against the litigators list. Yeah. These are known people that receive calls and all they do is they make a living by suing people that call them or text them illegally. That's, that's who got me. So if you, what would have saved you is, is scrubbing it against the litigators list. Oh, I do now. <laughs> yeah, so, so what we do, not my advice, is uh, typically we don't do the DNC list. A lot of people, yeah. it's almost like, you know, only, yeah. who here has registered for the do not call list? Right, everybody's over 50, raise their hand, I'm just joking. But the point I'm making is not on many people, you know, and then a lot of people don't even know how to enforce it or go step up the ladder and make that official complaint. So we don't really worry about it too much. We've had, we've had people, you know, but we smooth it over. Yeah. There's people, you can, you can talk it out. Yeah. Buy them, give them a gift card, I don't know, something. Yes, sir? Where do you get the litigators from? Um, you can just search it. Um, what it is, it's a software that you upload your list and it's going to take out the litigator ones. It's all over. I think we may even have one on REIRL. I don't, I don't know. But, you know, so that shows you how limited I uh, don't handle the list building stuff. Yes, sir? Do you recommend doing RBMs in a small market? They work the best there. They, they work the best there because what happens is if you live in Atlanta, you're getting RVMs every other phone call, right? But if you're in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, nobody is calling you there for insurance products or you know trying to do just not on the target for that so the smaller towns it actually works better than it works in the large metropolitan areas because we're all like you know you're in Charlotte Atlanta New York you're always hit with these 917 numbers 704 and all this stuff you know so yeah they'll work better actually in the smaller markets like they don't RVMs don't work that well in Atlanta but you go to Augusta great so that's 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 what we found out. So is REL real, like a version of CallReel? It's I think it was it's built on that platform with the same idea, but way different. Yeah, CallReel just gives you tracking numbers. Yeah. Max, do you virtually wholesale that as well? You know, honestly, no. And what happens is because I built a brand, I get people that email me or my staff every day saying, "Hey, I've got a deal." So I do probably do about five JVs every month with just people across the country. Um, but it's not necessarily something where I do I, I, I was gonna go into another market, but what I decided to do was build this 7,000 square foot WeWork facility for all wholesalers in North Carolina to come to. So I haven't really been focusing on reaching out and going to other places. Yes, sir. He says on call rail, yeah, call rail is not made. He said, he said on call rail, they don't do text messaging, right? That's not what they're built for. Yeah, REI Rails text messaging platform does. Yeah. Yeah, but not not pictures and video. Yes, sir.
How much did it cost you? That's expensive. Uh, but $200 a lead is not bad either. Oh yeah, $200 a lead? That's cheap. I mean, my average deal size is $13,000. So 200 bucks ain't much. Right? You have to look at it from a business perspective like that. And if it takes me 10 prospects, so if it takes me $2,000 to make 13000 still a good, you know, somebody, if I told somebody those numbers in any business, like, how much money do you need? Right? So when you start to scale, now I'm not saying every, this is not a beginner's thing, but if you spent 200 bucks to get one actual lead and you only, say you're a terrible closer and you close one out of 10, so you had $2,000 but your average deal size is 13,000, that means you profited 11 grand. Right, that's, that's kind of how we scale when we look at business numbers and then we just pour money to it. But you gotta do more, so what I was getting at is you gotta do it, you gotta do it better and you gotta probably leave a better voicemail and if you only had 300 numbers dropped then you probably only had 300 cell phones and a lot of landlines. Right? Yeah, um, do they tell you what cell phone or not? Uh, he's saying yeah, and you're saying no. Just go to REI Skip, I own it, you'll be fine. Where's what we did? So I, I, I don't know who's here to talk about skip tracing, but skip tracing is something that I've been doing in this industry. All right, so background, I used to be a bounty hunter. All right, a lot of people know that. So I used to find people that didn't want to be found. So all these TLOs and IDIs have been doing work with these companies for years, right? So the point is, is we used that technology and we actually bought into a company earlier this year where we, we bought the data itself. So a lot of people just middleman, broker, bullcrap data, right? So if you go to REI Skip, Totally different uh, set of data. We know what we're doing. It's just how I grew so fast. You gotta be able to talk to the right people, right? That's important. Yes, sir. What are your metrics on uh, your ROI? Like, what's your percentage of, on your text messages? And uh, if you send out a thousand, how many, how many calls yeah, do you Yeah, I would lie if I told you that number. Like, what's my conversion rate yeah, for text? I mean, yeah. Like, I know what it is on my mail, and I know what it is. Yeah. Different aspects of what I do, but on I, I get those reports about quarterly. Yeah. So I have a C I have a COO that sure. runs the day-to-day -day operation on everything. Yeah. Like I'm in the office sometimes, but I don't ha I don't I moved away from those. Like you know how I moved away from compiling data and answering phones? I moved away from that aspect of the business too. So I don't I know if it works or not, and I know that we're doing great. Like I know that I know that text messaging works works well. It's it's a new thing, right? Like until it just gets wore out. But what I also found out this year that mail is doing pretty well because everybody's avoiding it. Right? Everybody's now doing something else. So you just gotta test. And we, we put about I think we have about a ten or twelve thousand dollar monthly R and D budget. Right, because it's important when you start to scale, you need to have a budget to be able to test things that are working. Like I blew 15 grand on billboards. I still got a source bottle, man. <laughs> Didn't get one phone call. I even had to buy a vanity number for like eight grand. You know the easy number? 6,000, you know what I mean, something like that? Yeah, I did look good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Didn't help. laughs> yes, sir. So, uh, I want to go back to the 
Yes, sir. You said, and you're not the first person that's told me, we're looking to hire our first virtual assistant. Yes, sir. And everybody recommends the Philippines. Yeah. But the Philippines, like, it's on a complete opposite time zone of now. So when they have the inbound calls coming in, are they awake in the middle of the night? Yeah. To answer calls yeah. Yep. yeah, my mom's been working third shift for 30 years. <laughs> and it's the same concept. So they, but the, but remember, you're paying them almost double what they get paid at a regular corporate job. A regular corporate job makes about a thousand bucks a month over. So when you're paying, you know, less, sorry, about five hundred a month, five hundred seven fifty a month. So when you're paying that type of money, they're more than happy to stay up and work third shift for you. And we're just, if you're on the East Coast, then you're opposite twelve hours ahead or something like that, or behind. I'm actually going to the Philippines in December to have a party with all of my, my VAs. I'm going to be there for like 20 days. Just, just have fun. So that call comes into your VA. What does that conversation sound like? Sounds like they live in America, right? So we, we, uh, we, have, we talk because it's important that they know like uh, certain streets and, and crossroads. So I train them. They even have the weather open. And so, oh, man, and you hate this rain today, huh? Or, you know, stuff like that. I mean, serious, it, it helps because it, people can relate to that conversation. But what the first call comes into our lead managers. And our lead managers uh, have the conversation with the person. Hey, thanks for calling, blah, blah, blah. You know, tell me about the property. There's all types of questions that we have. And that we try to, if they notice that it's something that they want to go ahead and set the appointment, they go ahead and set the appointment. If not, they say, hey, look, uh, our acquisition personnel will call you back within an hour. Right, because at that point they're not sure and they're not sure enough to set an appointment. So they'll just say, we'll call you back within an hour. But most of the time it's usually an appointment or, you know, we'll, we'll revisit this again soon. So people just call to get retail. But yeah, we love that a VA can answer the phone calls and filter it. Now I also have people in the office that do the same. So certain types of inbound calls do not go to the Philippines. Like my probate list, those, those outbound marketing efforts, um, a couple other don't go to the Philippines. They're all in-house. Text messages don't go to the Philippines. They're answered in-house. Just because we have a dedicated person that all they do is text. My 21-year-old nephew, he's 20. All he does is text all day. I bet he, when he gets off work, he hates texting. <laughs> I, got, I got time for one more question. Yes, sir. Sounds like you have a lot of processes that you build up. Yep. You have like a library of processes, process maps and stuff that helps her however you do it. Yeah, so uh, we originally just started recording everything on our computer screen, and now there's this software called Tranual. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's called, it sounds, it sounds where it's Tranual. And basically, it's an onboarding for anybody you hire. So they have different categories where you can record videos for that specific job type, and they will give them everything. You can update it, leave, give quizzes, see the completion rate that they've done on the, on the feature, but it allows you to say, hey, okay, I'm hiring a new acquisition manager, here goes your username and password to Tranual. This tells you from A to Z what you're supposed to do every single day. It's got screen recordings of every single process you're supposed to do. Watch this for the next week, two weeks. And anytime they have questions, they can reference back to that material. So that's part of when you start to scale. And even now, you want to start documenting your stuff because what, what happens is you want to start eliminating yourself from the business, right? And if you start eliminating yourself from the business, somebody needs to know. It can't be all up in your head, right? Cool, so this is my time. I really appreciate you guys. I'm gonna be sticking around here all day. Uh, please give a round for, for Adam and, and uh, for putting this on again. And I gotta answer 
question before I leave. How many millionaires are in the room now? So maybe I, maybe I didn't get myself all the way across. But the information that you're about to receive, you need to believe that it's going to make you who you want to be.